0: Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital
1: airwaves. Chaos magic is a topic for which we receive regular requests, and a topic I've been, frankly, putting off long enough. Chaos magic is often presented as a complex and mysterious practice, with Austin Osmond Spare, the artist regarded as its founder, lurking as a dark and unfathomable figure, lost to history. In truth, chaos magic is no more complicated than any of the subjects we cover on the podcast, and Spare no more incomprehensible than any of the magicians we've discussed. My reason for delaying has had more to do with my awareness that we have many chaos magicians listening... And none of the alchemical actors, including myself, have much experience with chaos magic. But we're not here to offer tips and tricks for creating your best sigil. Our work has to do with figuring out the history and philosophy of what has become one of the most recent occult movements to achieve widespread interest and practice, at least among the community of folks who tend to listen to podcasts like ours. So let's begin at the beginning with a man who was delightfully eccentric, remarkably creative, and wanted nothing more than to scandalize traditional culture, albeit in a more playful and artistic way than contemporaries like Aleister Crowley. Artistic prodigy, proto-surrealist, occult maverick, and person who rejected Adolf Hitler. Ladies and gentlemen, today I give you the godfather of chaos, Austin Osman Spare. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am your Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors. I am joined today by our Knight of the Dangling Serpent, Jacob Wheatley. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> it's me.
0: <laughs>
1: yo. <laughs> yo, ho, <Yeah>. ho. And, <laughs> and a barrel of rum. <laughs> and uh, as is traditional Olivia Literal, Grand Master of the Order. Hello. So, guys, um... I know this is going to come as unwelcome news to both of you, but this is our Christmas episode, basically. This is the last episode before the holiday. Boo. Boo Boo that there won't be another episode before Christmas. Boo Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, down with Christmas. I've got to say, I've I've always had mixed feelings about the holiday. I think I wouldn't um, be so hostile to the Christmas season if it just happened on like a day or even a week like if it was a week of christmas i yeah. think i might yeah. be all right with it for or sure. a day of christmas but it's the it's there's so much christmas in america like are european listeners and folks in australia i don't know I, i've never been outside of the u.s at christmas time um i've been all over the world but i've never been yeah i'm always it's always spring i'm traveling or fall so let us know I'm, i'd be curious to know does christmas just explode all over you beginning around i don't know November first, like the day yeah, after Halloween.
2: Yeah, it's like people, as soon as Halloween is done, they're like, "I have my tree up." It's November first, and it's like we didn't even vote yet. Like, chill. exactly. Oh,
1: I do have a toddler now, so I'm gonna we're gonna go out tomorrow and uh, celebrate a pagan tradition and uh, cut oh. down some greenery and bring it into the house.
2: Hell yeah, get that yule log.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get that yule Hashtag log. Get that yule log. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, are, you, are you guys doing anything for the holiday? Uh,
0: no, I'm trying to avoid people as much as I can, which is a usual Christmas <laughs> tradition for me. Um, stay inside and not talk to anyone.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's a COVID There's, holiday, so we're not traveling. That's so. true.
2: My uh, mom just let me know that she never actually took down her fake tree. It's just been hiding in, like, a closed-off, like, front room. Like she threw a room. blanket over it? No, she just... No one goes in there. It's, like, a formal room. So, like... Oh, fancy. She just, just closed just the doors. It. Yeah, the, the d- drawers are just closed, and, like, she's just kept it up, decorated, and she's just, like, I don't have to open do the it
1: doors. now. It's been, like, yeah, time.
2: Yeah, so I love
1: that. Props to her. That's fantastic. She's the I Miss her, Haversham of uh, Christmas.
2: <laughs> I told her it was brilliant, to be honest, because, yes, you know...
1: This is our Christmas room, we close it, and yeah. we open it up. We open the room one time a year.
2: We only go in there on Christmas morning, like, so it's like, I don't know, it's very weird.
1: We the members of, of the, the secret, secret order of, order of alchemical our actors, actors do solemnly, solemnly commit, commit ourselves, ourselves to, a to a full and honest, honest telling of, of, the of, history history of, the of the history of the, of the occult as far as, far as we know, we know it. it. Let's open up those plugs. Plug,
2: plug, plug!
1: So, yes, we, we did pre-record our last episode at the end of the Evil Spirit series. So we've got a lot of patrons to thank today. Again, so grateful, especially at this time of year um, and with COVID all around us yeah, uh, yet again. But uh, vaccines on the horizon. We want to give a special thanks to the folks who were able to join our patron crew. Um, and love to the people who have had to lo- leave the patron crew uh, for financial reasons. We understand it is tough times and hope to see you uh, back when you're able to. No rush. We want to thank Eileen C. and Gwali. Twitch Two, not Twitch One, but Twitch Two. Yes. yes. Uh, Lealani M. Aww. A- Adriana P. Savannah S. Chelsea K. Oh, Suarezet N. Oh. I hope I did that one well. Um, if not, let us know, Swarset. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Please correct us.
1: Yeah, we're all, we're all, we're we're open to that. Uh. And, and uh, that's it for our patrons. Thank you very much, friends.
2: Uh, Welcome. Thank lovely you. Lovely to have
1: you. Yes. Well, I do, uh, I'm going to do a couple of shout-outs uh, off the OC, because it's, it's the holiday season. We want to be generous. Uh, some new friends we've made uh, this, this last season, really, in the last few months. First, the Urban Conservatory uh, Occult Discord so these folks uh, run classes and i, I had the uh, chance to visit o'brien uh, and uh, the folks in the urban conservatory class so check them out on discord i i don't I, there was the, I, i've only had access to discord a couple of <laughs> times and generally through people who are better at this than me so um, I don't know how you find them on Discord, but those of you who do know, Jacob, you I know do. these things.
0: You just have to get the link from them to join the server.
1: Well, where would you have to go to get the link? You have to like find them on social media. Yeah, you media? would have to
0: like, contact them typically, or sometimes um, if they have like a Instagram or Facebook or something, a lot of um, uh, servers they'll just put the link in like their bio typically. But if not, it's easier to just reach out to them.
1: We'll yeah, find us maybe, on social media, and we'll, we'll yeah. link to them.
2: Maybe we can put it in the Facebook group yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah we'll put it. I know it, a lot yeah.
2: of people have messaged me before asking about, like, where can I find, like, occult groups mm-hmm. or occult learning groups, whatever you want to. So, yeah. Yeah. And they good.
1: listen to our podcast uh, over at the Urban Conservatory. So, super what? cool. Um, And I do want to mention Luxa Cult just one more time. The Luxa Cult podcast uh, that I uh, did an an episode on over with Luxa. And uh, we're going to have Luxa uh, come and guest with us because it's a chaos magic podcast she runs. Nice. Okay, let's close up those plugs.
2: Plug, plug, plug.
1: Austin Osmond Spare was born on the 20th of December, 1886. is perfect timing, right? In honor of his birth.
2: Oh, I was like, what? Yeah, we're we're just a couple days away. Yeah. Well,
1: when we we post this, we're only going to be a couple days away from his birthday. Yeah, I didn't get that. (laughs) But no, it's not 1886, Olivia. I agree.
2: (laughs) Now I understand. It's like 1030, guys. I'm not here. I'm Mm.
1: sorry. This is early for Olivia. It is. Brunch brunch is early in the morning. Yes. Uh, So Spare was the son of a policeman and the grandson of a Marine on his mother's side. He would grow up having a better relationship with his father, actually, than his mother. He grew up in the middle-class London neighborhood of uh, Kensington. Oh, Kennington. Sorry, not Kensington.
2: Hmm.
1: Kennington. He was an athletic child and enjoyed boxing, wrestling, cycling, and even cricket. Oh. Which, which is classic. incomprehensible to us Americans. The yeah. of sports. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do not is. understand the fancy I mean, sport that could go on for
0: pretty, days right? I played it one time
2: you played cricket Jacob? I did how long did it last did you play like a full like long ass game I tried to like a... it didn't
0: work out too well yeah they tried teaching you just yeah, left. No, they tried teaching me as I was playing and it just <laughs> it
1: didn't work out
2: <laughs> if it's not Alice in Wonderland themed like I'm not into it yeah. you know
1: S- croquet you mean
2: yeah like in the movie mm-hmm
1: yeah, that's not cricket. Things. That's croquet.
2: Oh shit. Yeah.
1: Really? <laughs> that's not the same thing.
2: Damn. What the this f do is, I know.
1: We're here to learn. Yeah. We're here to learn.
2: <laughs> wait, what's the di- No, this is so off topic. You cricket can't is a Cricket's like
1: baseball, but it's not baseball. Yeah. You had but like a what's the difference paddle? between Croquet is just it's like a lawn sport. Yeah.
2: I thought they both were lawn <laughs> sports. <Science.
1: laughs> no, 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 no. Oh wait. Cricket's like a real What are
2: they playing in heathers? That's croquet. Also oh, create, okay. You know. Got it. I've also seen others. <laughs> spare okay, was well.
1: particularly interested. <laughs> spare, Let's get back to Spare. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our poor audience have been waiting. We've been yammering so about Christmas. Okay. <laughs> Austin Usman Spare was particularly interested in uh, drawing. He liked to draw and spent most of his free time with pencil and paper. He drew caricatures to amuse his classmates and his father hung his work on the walls taking great pride in his son's art. Yeah, That's yeah. sweet. Yeah. Spare who had a tendency to self-mythologize, albeit with a grain of truth in the stories he told about his life, described his mother as cold, claiming that she never kissed him. Oh. Mm. He developed a second maternal relationship with a woman named Mrs. Patterson, a person who he may or may not a person who may or may not have existed. According to Spare, she indoctrinated him into the world of magic and occultism and started him on a path that would lead him to study the work of Helena Blavatsky and meet Alistair Crowley. Spare referred to Mrs. Patterson, a fortune teller who never accepted a fee for her services, as a second mother and claimed she was the only person he'd ever met who could materialize her own thoughts. Often, in the midst of discussing the future with a client, Patterson would materialize the event she foretold, and that event always came to pass. Spare also uh, accomplished this feat, but more erratically. He couldn't control it as well. And that was later in life. His friend admirer and fellow occultist Kenneth Grant told a story of two dabblers in the occult coming to call on Spare to conjure an elemental. So let's let's hear a little illustration from Grant of how Spare was able to perform this trick.
3: Spare tried to dissuade them, explaining that such creatures were subconscious autonoma, inhibiting the human psyche at levels normally inaccessible to the conscious mind. As they almost always embodied atavistic urges and propensities, it was an act of folly to invoke them as their intrusion into waking life could be extremely dangerous. But the Smatters did not take him seriously. Using his own method of elemental evocation, Spare set to work. Nothing happened for some time, then a greenish vapor resembling fluid seaweed gradually invaded the room. Tenuous fingers of mist began to congeal into a definite, organized shape. It entered into their mist, gaining more solidity with each successive moment. The atmosphere grew miasmic with its presence, and an overpowering stench accompanied it. And in the massive cloud of horror that enveloped them, two pinpoints of fire glowed like eyes, blinking in an idiot face which suddenly seemed to fill all space. As it grew in size, the couple panicked and employed Spare to drive the thing away. He banished it accordingly. It seemed to crinkle and diminish, then it fell apart like a blanket, swiftly disintegrating. But while it had cohered and hung in the room like a cloud, it was virtually opaque and tangible, and it reeked of evil.
1: Grant reported, undoubtedly via Spare himself, that within weeks one of the pair was dead and the other committed to an asylum. In 1900, at the age of thirteen, Spare was apprenticed to a printer and poster designer, Sir Joseph Coston, and the sons of the Clapham Road. Oh, sons on the Clapham Road. Either way. When some design work he was doing on his lunch break was noticed by two well-connected visitors, they recommended him to the Royal College of Art in South Kensington. He was Kensington this time. He was tall and handsome, but young and shy, and perceived as aloof by most, most of the other students at the college, except, that is, for Sylvia Pankhurst. Daughter of the political activist Emmeline Pankhurst, a very... Um, If you're from the UK, I'm sorry, you already know this, but Emmeline Pankhurst is a major feminist figure and suffrage figure uh, of the 19th century. Uh, Sylvia would go on to become a leading figure in England's suffrage movement herself, uh, going to prison 15 times over during her lifetime, where she was often force-fed because she would go on hunger strikes while imprisoned. That's a tough bitch. (laughs) Yeah, Pankhurst and Spare would be lifelong friends starting at the college, which was an art college that was widely considered an inferior place to try and acquire anything like skills in art. Regardless of his uh, poor training, Spare's natural talent shone through and he became a kind of teenage prodigy. In 1904, at the age of 17, he had his first public showing at the Newington Public Library, and his father submitted two of his drawings to the Royal Academy of Arts. One of the pieces, a book plate was accepted, making Spare the youngest exhibitor at the time, if not in the history of the Academy. His sudden success at such a young age catapulted him to a kind of instant celebrity. But the attention and pressure were not especially welcome, becoming a source of tremendous stress and anxiety for the young artist. It's that child star phenomenon, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you're you at the top of the world when you're 17 years old. How do you what do you do next? Yeah. It
2: only goes down from there.
1: True. right. In the same year, he told a local newspaper that he'd begun devising his own religion. Oh, what? <laughs> what? Wow, <laughs> like, okay, okay, never mind. It just keeps <laughs> yeah. going up. Right to up. the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's already. Yeah, he's already on a. Who are the the um, Smiths' kids? Will Smith's yeah. kids. He's already going doing in that doing that Damn. whole thing. Yeah. Uh, He's made friends with the poet and occultist Victor Neuberg at this time, best known to our listeners for serving as apprentice to Alistair Crowley during his Enochian rituals in the deserts of Algiers in 1909. Guys, remember Victor Neuberg? He played the violin and his hair got styled like devil horns.
4: How could I forget?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... In 1907, Spare published his pagan-inspired Book of Satyrs featuring satyr-like men in various scenarios and one of Spare's most famous self-portraits at a desk surrounded by masks and figurines expressing in very loose symbolic form the identity and attitude of the artist.
2: Is that... doesn't he have something that he ends up... someone famous has like his art. Uh, shit. I can't remember. That was bad. <laughs> comment to make. I want to say it was someone from like Led Zeppelin, but maybe I'm wrong. It's like one of that, like, like Jimmy Page. Maybe like someone. Jimmy Page would be the one. I think his like self portrait or something. Is that what you're talking about? No.
1: This is yeah. He he did a number of self portraits, but this okay. one's the most famous of them. It's got his is this desk of weird tchotchkes all around him. <laughs> After publishing Satyrs, he had his first West End exhibition at the Bruton Gallery, where George Bernard Shaw first commented on his work calling it too strong medicine for the average man that's what people have also said about me too
2: (laughs) i have heard that yes jacob
1: shaw was sort of great at like saying things about other people's art um i mean he's just this great commentator of Mm -hmm. the period so i i think that was kind of like a compliment it was just like his work is too intense for people
2: okay i thought it was like a backhanded compliment but Uh,
1: there's always a little bit of element of that i think but Shaw wasn't the only celebrity to cross Spare's path at this exhibition. Also, at the Bruton Gallery, Spare first encountered, here we go, Alistair Crowley.
4: Oh.
1: Striding up to him, the beast announced himself as the vice-regent of God upon man, Earth. what a man. fucking <laughs> <Getting> right. <laughs> Crowley admired Spare's art and was among a growing crew of his patrons. Remember, Crowley was reasonably wealthy um, at varying points of his life.
2: Wait, so where is he right now? Like in his
1: it's 1907
2: status. Okay. Crowley, Crowley's—he's—he's.
1: Yeah. He's, he's, this is like his, you know, rising occult years. He's pretty okay, famous, yeah. All right. especially in those circles. Um, so he's admiring him, um, and. Uh, the patrons were the but the most wealthy of his patrons was a man named pickford waller crowley commissioned a series of pieces from spare for his journal equinox and also gave spare an expensive ceremonial robe oh. and recommended him to the journal editor Holbrook jackson wow the he exact nature up. yeah he's, he's making connections uh, but here's where it gets a little fuzzy. The exact nature of Crowley's relationship with Spare is subject to some speculation. Crowley was, as many of our listeners know, bisexual. His homosexual acts with Neuberg, a mutual friend, fairly well documented, and we've talked mm-hmm. about them. So check out our fir- at least our first Crowley episode spare had a following among gay patrons and expressed a strong interest in alternative sexualities in his writing and in his art crowley and spare may have had a physical relationship at one point in his collection the winged beetle crowley's poem the twins was dedicated to spare jacob i'm actually gonna have you read this uh segment of the poem because you you've done crowley's voice for uh, us right yeah i have <laughs> all right check it out Give it a read.
0: I, O son of my mother, that snarled and clawed in her womb, as now we rave in our rapture, I know thee, I love thee, brother, incestuous males that consume the light and life that we capture. Come then, conquer and kiss me, says the poet. Come, what hinders? Believe me.
1: Pretty hot. Ooh. So they
2: were definitely oh, banging, right? Dang. Like definitely. <laughs>
1: yeah, that. Uh, it's dedicated to uh, that, despair. Yeah.
2: Definitely. That was banging. pretty explicit,
0: okay, cool. right? Like.
2: Yeah, that was they like in banging, your face. They wanted it, it to. It could be
1: the, Yeah, Crowley wanted it, to at he least. He was definitely <laughs> making some moves.
2: <laughs> I'm not. You I know, respect his game. Bringing up Twincest for no one, yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> 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 only, only. Only girls I'm really into do Only I talk about incest really, with. Yeah, <laughs>
2: just really special people, oh, yeah. you know?
1: Okay, so uh, in the poem, they go on to writhe and thrill and blithe and live. I bet they um, do. Until the spasm that kills oh. them.
2: Oh my
0: Man, God. they get really
1: heated, <laughs> hot Super and heavy. Hot. <laughs> oh God, I'm so immature. That's amazing. So sp- <laughs> spare... <laughs> Spare actually joined Crowley's uh, Argentium Astrum in July 1909, being only the seventh member of that group. Oh. Hmm. He was clearly inspired by Crowley's ideas, as reflected in his own occult practice, but he also took much of Crowley's performance of self with a grain of salt. I'll tell you what I mean by that. One of my favorite stories that Spare told about him and Crowley, uh, which we have to take with our own grain of salt because it involves two of the more notorious fabricators of the time period, namely Alistair Crowley and Austin Osman Spare. <laughs> the story goes like this. It begins with the fact that Crowley enjoyed exotic foods, especially aphrodisiacs. So one day, Spare prepared some cakes for Crowley for an afternoon tea, telling him that they'd been derived from an old Chinese Tang Dynasty recipe. As Crowley was enjoying the cakes, Spare uh, bubbled and boiled over with the secret of the incredibly gross practical joke he'd played. The cakes, he said, had been made with horse and dog feces. Poop. The, but this is the best part. Spare reports that for his part, Crowley retained his bland expression and said simply, I guessed as much. Wow. <laughs> <What>?
2: <laughs> That's one brand, maybe. Okay.
1: You are eating I horse think poop. So? I guessed as much. You know, <laughs> Your point. he's rolling with the punches. It's just... I respect it, yeah. I mean, Crowley was known for eating all sorts of gross things. So, In any case, uh, relations between the two eventually soured, as relations between Crowley and pretty much anyone always <laughs> did. Um, and that's all we have to say about that uh, exchange. Around this same time, Spear met his future mother-in-law sitting at a bar in a public house. Or a pub, as, as you might call them. <laughs> Short for public house. She told him about her daughter, uh, Eile, a chorus girl with a baby whose father had abandoned her. Spare fell in love with Eiley, and Eiley pretended to be pregnant. And on the 4th of September, 1911, they got married. Romance. <laughs> okay. During World War I, Spare claimed that he had been stationed in Egypt and studied hieroglyphics there. I keep using the word claim because Spare tells a lot of tales. He claimed to have spent a night under a pile of corpses at the battlefront uh, and remaining calmly on board a troop carrier when it was struck by a torpedo and someone shouted, abandon ship, uh, making him the only survivor. Actually, Spare worked as a medical orderly giving tetanus shots to new soldiers and served in Colonel Solomon Solomon's let me say that one more time. Colonel Solomon Solomon's <laughs> camouflage section uh, designed uh, where he designed camouflage which better suited his talents um, because he's, of course, an artistic guy and he helped to illustrate the uh, historical record of the war. During the course of the war, he separated from his wife whose interests never quite aligned with his although they never formally divorced. Because divorce was not a thing you easily Mm -hmm. could do, even if your wife pretended to be pregnant to get you to marry her. He self-published his book of pleasures in 1913, articulating some of the theories that would mark Spare as a proto-surrealist, although his art properly belonged to the symbolist era, for my art nerds out there. Let's talk a little bit about that, because Olivia and Jacob have both been through my history of Western performance class. Symbolism took its inspiration from the ancient pagan culture, various pagan cultures, and sought to express the inner rather than the external actions of its subjects. It's interested in the inner life. Symbolism communicates the barely conscious rather than the unconscious or subconscious using open symbols that are evocative, but whose meaning is uncertain. I'll give you an example that uh, maybe most of our listeners are probably familiar with. Edgar Allan Poe was considered an early symbolist. He was before the, you know, big period of symbolism, which was the late nineteenth century into the early early twentieth. His Raven speaks to the inner pain and struggle of the central character in the poem The Raven. But what it actually represents, the character's death or maybe some form of guilt or just anguish, it's not possible for us to pin that down. That's how symbolism functions. So While we have these symbols that are doing all this expression of our inner life, we can't say exactly what they mean. Then we know we're working with symbolism. Chekhov, seagull, all these sorts of symbols out there. Like, what the hell is the seagull? We don't know. Uh, The telltale heart, to some extent, although it's a bit more obvious, but the raven is sort of perfect. The multicolored rooms in the mask of the red death, Um, or oft-referenced cask in the cask of a or a Montelotto. Oh no. Some debate about that. <laughs> I'm uh, having that's what I was about right to say now. like
0: PTSD from this.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've done a lot of post stories. Uh, but also we don't know what those exactly mean. The 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 meaning of those is sort of open and open to interpretation. They evoke many associations in the case of the Red Death, excess and pleasure and arrogance and preoccupation. Also the cask, really, mm-hmm. the same things. Um, but they're all of these things, and they're also something more than all of these things. That's the essence of symbolism. So spares, satyr-like men and goats and figurines and masks and animal heads and skulls all on his desk with him behind them, they're all sort of serving a similar purpose. They create a feeling that draws out the interaction of the subject, but they slither away from being assigned any single meaning. Does that make sense? Yeah. You guys yeah. remember this yeah. from class? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it would make sense if you didn't remember this from Glass? (laughs) Those who haven't had Glass with me, of our listeners, who are a whole lot more of people than you. I mean, I would assume so. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. Write us if you'd like me to explain symbolism some more. After the war, Spare developed an interest in radio, a hobby that would sometimes help him to make ends meet when times were tight. In the 1930s, he began experimenting with, well... Animorphs is what he called them, which was a kind of painting that distorts the image by elongating it. The style uh, has become popular with street art to make it appear like there are three-dimensional things playing with the viewer's depth perception. Have you seen you, this? You like, move
0: from different angles, and it like, changes it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's basically an anamorph. So he would do these on, on paper. Hmm. He preferred vertical distortions of the images he painted. That's why I brought you in, Jacob, today, because I know you're into art visual things yeah yeah. Uh, so in 1936 Salvador Dali had a London exhibition and with a new vogue for surrealist art taking over the cultural scene Spare's friends sought to claim his place as the proto-surrealist or the great British surrealist before surrealism was cool Hmm. so they want to like make England first to the party wasn't Dali it was this guy Austin Osmond Spare uh spare had actually so there's a case to be made that he was a proto-surrealist meaning you know a, a surrealist before there was surrealism proto he had championed automatic drawing and automatic writing guided by subconscious familiars from very early in his career so when we think about surrealism that's really what we're talking about is the expression of subconscious thought and he was already engaged in a lot of that with his occult practice and also with his art His surrealist forecast racing cards involved secret messages that purchasers were meant to memorize before destroying the (laughs) cards, allowing the message to percolate in the subconscious. This is going to become big to his chaos magic theory or his theories that, you know, would go on to inspire chaos magic. Surrealism had its most productive life in painting, although its great progenitor, Andre Breton, also favored its presence in literature through the practice of automatic writing. Automatic anything is an attempt to express the subconscious or unconscious thoughts of the artist out into the world without the intervention of the ego or conscious mind. The artist writes or draws without thinking. Surrealism utilized art as a vehicle to achieve a synthesis between dreams and reality. Easily seen in the work of Dalí or Rene Magritte or uh, Max Ernst or Man Ray. Things you can all you can Google after the episode. <laughs> like writing it down. Like Man. ah yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes mm. yes. Uh, well, you know, Rene Magritte's got the train coming out of the mm-hmm. fireplace, and Dalí's got all the you know distorted clocks and things. It's this dream mm-hmm. world, this dream reality. They wanted to make the familiar, meaning the quotidian aspects of our ordinary lives, strange in the way that dreams make the contents of our lives unfamiliar and sometimes threatening. Dali's melting clocks or Man Ray's overlay of a violin's markings on a woman's naked back essentially make the violin and the woman strange to us. Mm -hmm. Right. They become unusual through our perception. Much of Spare's occultism had a powerful, surrealist feeling to it, with spirits as his intermediaries with the subconscious realm. Breaking the control of the ego and delving into the depths of the subconscious was the occultist's prime objective.
4: The soul is the ancestral animals, the body the knowledge. This omnivorous soul how lasty. It would seem to be everlasting in its suicide. Complex desire is the further creation of different desire, not the realization of particular desire. Make thy desire subconscious. The organic is creative impulse to will. Beware of that desire.
1: Let it be something that implies nothing
4: but itself.
1: Producing desired objects and results is about forgetting the desire so that the subconscious mind can work on realizing it. A conscious request is not nearly as powerful as a subconscious request, and so rather than ask the spirits or the universe for a Cadillac, the magician should forget that he wants a Cadillac, and the Cadillac will in due time arrive by the power of the subconscious. <laughs> that's that's
0: Yeah, that's you got what that? I do in life, too. Just will it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, you will, but you will it, and then you forget it. So it's not exactly the ah, okay. secret. You got to will it. You know, put it in your head. Law of attraction, I guess. But it's not quite that. It's not that new age know. principle because you've got to forget that you want it. Otherwise, your subconscious mind can't work hmm. the problem. If you read Spare closely, it appears that the desire for anything in particular, like mm-hmm. a Cadillac, is actually an error. Desire should be its own end, meaning that there should be no object in the conscious physical world that you actually want the subjects of desire should be the desires themselves we should just be cultivating desire i desire to have more desire (laughs) the subconscious shouldn't be the tool of the conscious but the beginning and end of the magician's undertaking it should all be about elevating that subconscious self he was a big fan of theosophy and via blavatsky also hinduism His writing makes regular reference to reincarnation and embraces the notion of the transcendence of ego, which he relates to his concept, which he calls Kia, K-I-A. Transcendence of ego is not a Gnostic or Buddhist overcoming of desire in his estimation, but rather a complete embodiment of desire. He says one becomes the thing itself or its creature. You see what what, what he means? Mm -hmm. You become your desire or you become a slave to your Mm -hmm. desire. And it is preferable to be our desire rather than a slave to our desire. There's a deep sensuousness to Spares occultism. We embody our subconscious selves and act and desire from the realm of our ancestral animals. This is his concept of mysticism or magical ecstasy. This is clearest in his conceptualization of sex. Ready for this? Yes.
0: jacob's always
1: ready always ready for sex talk spare sought to indulge sexual desire below the surface of the ego and mine the depths of subconscious sexuality this was a theme of both his occultism and his art there had been rumors that survived long after his death that spare had been a purveyor of erotic images although for a long while nothing more graphic than the standard artistic nudes could be attributed to him His friends talked about him trading in dirty pictures, though, and most believed that if they existed, they'd been destroyed by a well-meaning associate shortly after his death. But in 2009, an album surfaced that solved the mystery, containing images of erections, hardcore penetration, and all manner of orgiastic activities. Wow. Mystery
2: solved.
1: Mm. Yep. So he made that early 20th century erotica. (laughs) Spare had a form of sex magic in which a sigil was inserted into a masturbation device like a suction cup.
3: What? You following
1: me? <laughs> <laughs> so you need a suction cup uh, that you're going to stick on your wang. Okay. Um. <laughs> Got it. (laughs) I never know what I'm gonna use as my euphemism for penis. I'm really proud that I said wang just then. I don't think I've ever heard you say it before. It's it came out so naturally. It really did. It really did.
2: (laughs) It's alarming.
1: Yeah. You stick the suction cup on your wang. I'm gonna stick with it now. Mm. Um and the suction cup is going and the is gonna prolong your orgasm and allow allow the magician to use the experience of the orgasm to access the subconscious realm and make the desired request mentally. Whatever you're requesting, you're going to make that request through the orgasm, and you're masturbating into the cup. Got me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a sigil inside the cup that your your fluids are going on to. So- yes. The cup, also known as an urn, was then buried in a casket filled with dirt, <laughs> or actually placed in the ground at a waning quarter moon at midnight. Okay. It's getting a little pagany now, isn't it? Yeah. Days later, or at least ceremonial, days yeah. later during the new moon, you disinter the urn, replenish the supply. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then pour the contents onto the earth while repeating an incantation. Okay. And that's how you get your sigil going. That's it. That's my whole system. I'm, wow. g- I'm, done, I'm done there. That's it. That's what you do. That's enough. That'll keep you busy. I was about to say, that's a, that's that's a long process.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It could be longer. Like Crowley, we're talking about months and months of summoning right, the demonic kings and stuff. But th- th- yeah, this is, this is more to the point. Spare, it's a little involved, but it, it, it's, it gets to the point. An important part of Spare's system was the abandonment of bourgeois values and mainstream controls of sexual ethics. We're with him there. I think I might be with him on all of this. I'm delighted by this whole... i got to be honest. I just find him a delightful person. Only when a person thought and acted from their own values, particularly sexual values and desires, could they be truly free and capable of accomplishing magical ends. I'm going to say this again because I think this is so important. Only when a person thought and acted from their own values, particularly their sexual values and desires, could they be truly free and capable of accomplishing magical ends. Wow. That's really nice. (laughs) Yeah, be you, right? I mean, here's a man long before we've sort of, like, conceptualized homosexuality. Maybe Mm -hmm. not long before, but, like, we're still not at a period where we're saying, there are no gay rights in 1930. (laughs)
0: there really wasn't until recently so yeah
1: right i mean let alone that you know the 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 newest trends you know with trans rights and Mm -hmm. and uh, non-binary and yet he's saying essentially to all of these people but also you know you and me olivia get those fantasies out there don't be ashamed of them embrace them and then you can truly embrace your power
2: It's like a little touch of Satanism, just like a drop of Satanism in there.
1: Just
2: a little drop. Just a little drop.
1: Or Satanism is drawing drops from him.
2: Yeah, true.
1: Yeah. In the Anathema of Zoss, one of his later works, which Spare wrote automatically, he tells the story of a matting horde of stinking humanity who seeks enlightenment from his protagonist, namely Zoss. Deeply contemptuous of his audience, but anxious for the opportunity to speak, the cantankerous Zoss gives a sermon and then falls into a deep sleep. When he awakens, he discovers himself surrounded by swine and wonders if he had been speaking to pigs the whole time. Hmm. Yeah, love that symbolism.
4: (laughs) I, who enjoy my body with unweary tread, would rather pack with wolves than enter your pest houses. You've muddled time and ego. Think you to curb the semen sentimentally? You deny sexuality with tinsel ethics, live by slaughter, pray to greater idiots.
1: In The Focus of Life, Spare expressed impatience with traditional heteronormative monogamy. He privileged, somewhat vaguely, alternative sexualities, but also self-pleasure, the title of his first book. A lot of crusading against masturbation through the 19th century and into the 20th century, even up to now, right? Yeah. Uh, even in the occult communities there is there are prohibitions against masturbation uh, but he's saying go for it have fun
4: I like this dude cast into demoniacal molds human nature is the worst possible nature the degenerate need women dispense with that part of thyself awake the time has come for new sexualities then would be occasion for greater pleasures to improve the species ye men must love one another Will unto self love, the unexhausted, the procreative of ecstasy. Where is life, there is will unto pleasure, however paradoxical the manifestation.
1: Spare sexual ectoplasm apparently engendered elemental automata who would proceed to have sex with each other during his workings. So, like golems, little sex golems. I don't know why it just "sex golem" sounds funny. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, sex. Maybe that's that'll be our next merch item of sex golems. Sex golems. Uh, another theme of spares sex or sex golem. It could be like it'd be, that's a label. Oh, <laughs> just like a little name tag, like on his shirt. It just says "sex golem." Sex golem. Yeah. I'm an occult confession sex column
2: that should be a Patreon tier level Oh (laughs) sex column
4: is that the the lowest or the highest tier that's That's the the top top tier tier. oh (laughs) top tier most
1: definitely another theme of his sexual magic and his art was the transformation of age into sensuous and alluring youth Sparrow believed that personal transmutation of the traditionally ugly into something beautiful opened onto new pleasures beyond fear he advised that we treat with utmost contempt those things the world reveres most i I gotta say that one more time he advised that we treat with utmost contempt those things that the world reveres most Hmm. so when we're talking about this teeny bopper tiktoky whatever (laughs) this is what spare is saying turn your back on he's saying find the beauty in the older woman or older gentleman Find the beauty in the the stuff that is rejected by society. See how beautiful that is. And a lot of his art really reflects this.
2: I'm trying to decide if this dude and Oscar Wilde would get along or hate each other.
1: Yeah, I think that's a toss-up. Sometimes <laughs> it's like some of...
2: Some of his like uh, what Asper is saying is like a little bit of like ascetic ascetic uh, you know what I'm trying to say ascetic ascetic mm-hmm.
1: meaning like yeah I see
2: yeah but then some of it I'm like oh Oscar Wilde can hate that shit like yeah. the, oh, you, you
1: mean aesthetic yeah like art art like aestheticism, art art that's sake. what I'm yeah, trying yeah, yeah, to yeah.
2: say yeah. I yeah,
1: could say it but anyway <laughs> you I got Not not like a, you know, Buddhist in the woods depriving himself, but somebody who's art art for art's sake indulging in the artistic Yeah, like what you were
2: saying about like the, what he was just saying about ugly, finding beauty in ugly and I don't know. Anyway.
1: (laughs) Spare could not identify the occult intelligence that worked through him, but he was aware of a spirit guide named Black Eagle who worked with him as well as a host of familiar spirits that surrounded him but eluded his attention. Spare developed a system of communication with these invisible spirits that relied on the creation of sigils, his probably most notable contribution to chaos magic. Sigils were a graphic interpretation of Spare's subconscious experience, and he argued that each person should develop their own sigils in order to achieve occult contact with the spirit realms. The more a person believes in a sigil, the more powerfully it accesses the subconscious of the practitioner, and this raises the ability to project the image into the mind of another. Sigils were an appropriate replacement for language, which Spare found incapable of expressing the two true depths of the subconscious. I totally agree with him there.
4: True wisdom cannot be expressed by articulate sounds. The language of fools is words. In the labyrinth of the alphabet, the truth is hidden.
1: Spare had developed his own sigil alphabet, which he used to conjure. Sigils could also be used to influence the natural world. In one story, the novelist Robert Hugh Benson asked a 17-year-old Spare if he could conjure a thunderstorm. Spare drew a sigil, and sure enough, a thunderstorm arrived. Benson introduced Spare to Everard Fielding of the Society for Psychical Research. Fielding imagined an object and, without telling Spare what it was, asked Spare to produce it. After Spare drew a couple of sigils to conjure the necessary spirits to read Fielding's mind and produce the object, Fielding's valet arrived many hours early with his slippers, exactly the object he'd been picturing. So good job, Spare. (laughs) And now, Hitler. In 1936 just three years before Germany annexed Czechoslovakia Speer received a request from Adolf Hitler to paint his portrait someone in the German embassy had purchased a portrait perhaps a surrealist overlay of Speer's own face on top of Hitler's in which Speer did these sorts of things all the time these sort of surrealist overlay uh, images in one story of this request Speer wrote back
4: only from your negations can I wholesomely conceive you for I know of no courage sufficient to stomach your aspirations and ultimates. If you are a Superman, let me be forever animal.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Take that. Yeah, I was Take about that. to say. Just backhanded him, essentially. <laughs> Go him.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you're the uh, fascist Uber man, then yeah, I'm out. Spare told another version where he went... So he told several versions of this story. One has him going to Germany, painting the portrait, bringing it back, and incorporating it into anti-Nazi propaganda (laughs) for the British. Uh, (laughs) So who knows? They're fun stories, though, that he makes. (laughs) He was clearly anti-fascist, and I'm with him there. So... (laughs) In 1934, he began a decades-long project of painting Cockney portraits of working-class people, getting back to this, making um, beauty, finding beauty everywhere, or in, in places where traditionally wouldn't. He would paint Woolworth's shop girls who work below his apartment, also char ladies and spivs, higglers and tapsters, billiard cue makers and taxi drivers. I only know what some of those are.
0: <laughs> I was about to say, most of that just went right over my head. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> If anyone in the UK wants to tell us what a Spiv or a Higgler or a tapster is, by all means, in the winter of 1940, during the German bombing campaign in London, a bomb went through his roof, the Nazis, of course, bombing London, Uh, a bomb went through his roof and landed on the floor below unexploded. Although his studio had been disheveled by the projectile, unexploded artillery was a fairly dangerous thing to live above, as you can imagine. Spear appears to have simply gone back to work, though. But then a second bomb actually exploded in his studio while he was out on fire watching duty, which is something you would do during the bombing. You would go and see if anything was on fire so you could alert the authorities. Um, And uh, it destroyed anything he'd been working on. Two or three hundred pictures, he said, uh, depriving him of a place to live as well. Uh He moved into Sigusia was so hostile to Hitler, (laughs) both in principle, but also personal vengeance. Yeah. He moved into the basement apartment of a friend, the model Ada Payne, where he'd lived through one of the roughest patches of his life. Falling into relative obscurity, he became a starving artist, using newspapers for plates and living on milk some days. In 1946, Spare began a slow but steady comeback, and three years later he met a key figure in the creation of the legend of Spare as the founder of Chaos Magic. Speaking of Kenneth Grant. After World War II, Grant had written to an elderly Crowley and ended up working with Aleister Crowley as a kind of general secretary. Grant also became an interpreter of works by Arthur Machin, Sax Romer, and H.P. Lovecraft, reading dark, mystical messages into their short stories and novels. Grant met Austin Osmond Spare through uh, Grant's wife Steffi, who was an art model, and he went on to write a series of books about Spare, beginning with his inclusion in Grant's book The Magical Revival. Grant's significance in translating Spare cannot be overstated. Spare's work is, as you may have gleaned from some of the quotes we've lifted for today's episode, very challenging to read. It's often completed using automatic writing techniques. It's repetitive. I'm saying this because I've read it. It's repetitive. It's filled with strange and undecipherable references and vacillates between a more modern and an old English mode of speech using words like ye and thou and my favorite, verily. It's a fun word. Right? We should use, we should just work that into a conversation more often. <laughs> Beyond that, Spare was, despite his relative genius, a largely forgotten figure, and wouldn't have drawn the interest of this podcast or our listeners but for Grant promoting him as what would become the first chaos magician, adopting Grant's explanation of Spare's process as the seeds for the chaos magician's own work. He literally is not the first chaos magician. Those guys don't come around until the 1970s, but they... Sort of consider Spare the godfather or grandfather. Grant formed a religion, and, and this is all based on Grant's work, what Kenneth Grant had to say about him. He fo- so Grant formed a religion based on Spare's ideas, which he called the Zoskia cultus. It, never, it, it was never formally organized as any sort of cult or fraternal body, though. It was more theoretical. Mm-hmm. At the time, Grant was focused on creating his own lodge, the new Isis Lodge, within Crowley's OTO, shortly after Master Crowley's death. Grant's own occultism was a blend of various sources including Crowley but also spare Hinduism and even some UFOology. So I don't want to give the impression that Grant practiced as an Austin Osman Spare uh, traditionalist. He rather he established a spare practice that he incorporated into his practice and encouraged others to do the same. Grant by the way is also incredibly difficult to read. He writes a lot of books but a lot they're, they're often very difficult to get through. <laughs> With his wife, Steffi, he introduced Spare to Gerald Gardner, a founder of the modern neo-pagan movement, and the two argued over who had actually ever encountered a real witch cult. Can you imagine this Mm -hmm. meeting? Gardner claimed to have based his witch religion on a real coven he discovered and studied with. Spare and his Mrs. Patterson, uh, but also vivid dreams of witches' sabbaths, which informed his impression of the so-called witch cult, more or less formed that argument. So Spare said, well, I knew him first. And Gardner said, <laughs> well, I knew him first. Spare claimed to have assisted Gardner to lift a curse that had been placed on him in exchange for a check for the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So... Spare said, Spare said, I'll help you lift this curse if you donate to the the, uh, prevention of cruelty of animals. I love that. Love that, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. The donation was actually part of the ritual. So the donation was part of lifting the curse. Wow. In return, Spare sent him a sigil uh, to return the evil sent against him on a boomerang principle. So uh, sort of keep the, send the evil back to where it came from. In 1949, Spare started doing pub shows, gallery exhibitions, and pub houses where he sold his art for for a price uh, that regular people could afford. So he becomes a sort of public artist. His pub shows were a great success and helped raise Spare out of his financial straits. In 1955, he appeared on the program Unusual Beliefs, unaware that the premise of the show was to mock its subjects for their unusual beliefs. The show took Spare's words out of context and broadcast his assertion that he could kill a man in two weeks with a curse for comic effect. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in Curses That Kill, we, we this is it's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's conceivable. The television program would not have been especially impressed by the coincidence, though, between Spare's claims and those of tribal cultures where people do die of the evil eye. Uh, So let's bring it on home here. Spare died on the 15th of May, 1956, having lived an eccentric life, bridging the worlds of art and occultism. He was ahead of his time, both in his surrealist artistic techniques and in his theories that would go on to inspire chaos magic. As with most men ahead of his time, he lived on the margins. Hailed as a boy genius, he spent most of his life creating in the spaces outside the dominant culture, illuminating forms of beauty that the mainstream tended to call ugly. It's significant that Grant started Spare's religion for him. In Zoss, Spare rejected the notion of establishing any fixed system for others to follow, as well as the concept of himself or any man as a genius or guru worthy of following. In line with the existentialists and even the postmodernists who would follow after his death, but also the Buddha long before him, Spare argued that we must follow ourselves, discover our own inner desires, and create our own sigils, whatever that might mean to us, if we are ever to truly transcend.
4: Cursed are ye who shall be persecuted for my sake, for I say I am convention entire, excessively evil, perverted, and nowhere good for ye. Whosoever would be with me is neither much of me nor of himself enough, worm-ridden jackals. Still would ye feast on my vomit? Whosoever follows me becomes his own enemy, for in that day my
1: exigency shall be his ruin. Whosoever would be with me is neither much of me nor of himself enough. Whosoever follows me becomes his own enemy, for in that day my exigency shall be his ruin.
2: That's insane.
1: I was
0: about to say, that's a pretty pretty big warning to be like, don't don't follow
2: What was that one line that you said in the beginning? I kept thinking, what, what was it? Convent- Cursed
1: are ye who would be persecuted for my sake?
2: No, convention entire oh. or something.
1: For I am convention entire. Yeah, I don't wow. know why that
2: freaks me out.
1: <laughs> that, that's crazy. Oh, that
2: really like, uh Well,
1: because he's definitely not. Right. But this point is you should follow no one. You need to make your own way, which that's something that
0: I I mean, after diverging a little bit from my beliefs as a kid, I've kind of like started to follow more and be like it's more of like my own like personal journey, what I decide to believe in and stuff. So I kind of. I, like i really like resonate with a lot of like what he said but then now i feel like bad being like oh yeah no i like this dude so, why do you feel bad i don't know because he just said don't
1: oh <laughs> uh, you can like him yeah but just, just y- don't the point follow. is yeah don't copy don't try to do, do your own thing right yeah. to follow him would be to do your own thing and find your own desires and make your own sigils not to you know sort of take up everything he did and just replicate it. Yeah.
2: See, I think that's so interesting because I guess we'll talk about it like in this series as we talk about like more modern chaos magic, but I feel like chaos magic now doesn't really abide by that kind of Ooh. thought. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm. Spare's definitely rigid. a purist. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah, there's I think there are a lot of ceremonial components for some chaos magicians. I think there's a lot of like Variety within the chaos magic community. There are some folks who I think are are very much in a spare tradition who are literally mm-hmm. doing their own thing and calling it chaos magic. Yeah, but and they then would there be... are they're outliers. Maybe is what you think. Yeah. I don't know. I was going to say really
2: they would probably be looked a little bit down on because I I I don't know. As someone that kind of like a little bit tried to dabble into the community. Ugh. Well, I also. I feel like we should put out a little bit of a warning when we do this series. Like, don't just listen to this and then dive in and think you can just start doing chaos magic. Yeah. Because, uh, like, it, yeah. I, I think it's really easy to invite a lot of things that you don't want by doing it and not.
0: Well, it's one of those things that you, well, for one, you shouldn't just, like, dive in right away without, like, knowing not I won't say, like, everything, but, like, at least having a general, like, knowledge of what you're getting into.
2: I I guess that I'm, yeah. I th- I had an experience, and that's why I said yeah. that I'm not doing it anymore. You had a negative
1: experience supernaturally, you mean, or occult-wise?
2: Yeah. I, the negative
1: practice experience.
2: I'm, like, yeah. I was pretty convinced for a while that I basically brought something really bad on through something that I did. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure, like, I don't know that I still think that entirely, but I do think it probably coincides. I guess what I'm saying is be careful what you wish for.
1: (laughs) I, I would say that none of our episodes should be used as a guide for practice because <laughs> yeah. we don't want, yes. I mean, our, our point is to sort of outline these practices and let you know what's out there. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in the spare mindset, uh, which, Jacob, I also do uh, without any guilt. I, I, lo- I love the spare mindset. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm very
0: into him. And I probably after this, I will start researching him more, but I won't follow him but I'll research it.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah let me know I've got these books, man. Oh, cool. I've got all these books I don't I've, I've read now um, <laughs> so I'll pass them on but uh, it, it, the we, we don't really our plan I think here is to get folks to think about all the options that mm-hmm. are out there with the mind that, I mean, what I, what I've increasingly been saying lately is, you know the search for God, whatever that means, is something you need to give attention to and, and that's that spirituality. That's what it's all about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's not enough to just say, oh, I'm spiritual. you know I, I believe and, and then' you're, you're off the hook. But that doesn't mean that you need to then adopt a specific tradition and act like it's the one true route because mm-hmm. everyone has a different path. It just means that you have to give that time and attention okay <laughs> that, makes, that makes sense <laughs> not to end yeah.
2: it on a weird note sorry oh, no. i just well, feel I mean, like there it, should was, be some should kind be of warning no i think that's good no that's good as we dive into this because yeah. i know i've experienced myself i i yeah i just yeah i just want other people to be cautious
1: there are other podcasts and maybe podcast is not the best way to begin a practice but there's other podcasts that you could get into that mm-hmm. explore practice and talk about practice there's other there's books and things you should pick up and communities I think you should join really you should have people around you who have ideas about how this mm-hmm. works when we do our weird artsy occulty stuff we're doing it together <laughs> Yeah, um, and that does help check any um, impulse yeah, yeah. I, I, but yeah Olivia going forward I think we can explore this question of the you know spare approach which is very open-ended and the ceremonial magic approach which because Crowley is also a big influence on chaos magic and Crowley is super ceremonial mm-hmm. so I think there's you know these twin influences are pushing chaos magic in various directions all right let's gong it on into that order of confessors mm-hmm. Baby Squirlington says...
2: Oh, oh my God. Baby Squirlington.
1: (laughs) Baby Squirlington says that we are the squirrel's favorite YT people, yeet yeet, yeet people, which I found out by Googling it means white people. Hell, yeah. yeah. It means white people. (laughs) Yes. We are Baby Squirlington's favorite whitey-ass whiteys. I know
2: that's right. Thank you.
1: Uh, we make pixie.
3: <laughs> Did you?
1: Are you okay? <laughs> That's what it says. Are there a bunch of E's oh. in the middle? There? There's a lot of E's, okay. yes. Oh, my
3: oh. God. <laughs> Rob's having a stroke.
1: <laughs> we, we make pixie. I was like, do we need to call someone? Like <laughs> Happy when pixie is sad. We make pixie Aww. happy. oh. That's nice. Uh Jenny C says, listening to the alchemical actors is like sitting down with a group of friends to talk all things spooky and strange. That's Aww. what we're going for, Jenny. Thank yeah.
0: you. Sounds about right. Uh,
1: Ronnie Lane has some interesting notes. Our friend Ronnie Lane over on uh, CastBox. Love, uh, love the notes Ronnie Lane leaves for us. Uh, this is a comment on uh, our episode about Wendigo's. Randy says that cannibalism risks prion disease, which is kind of like mad cow disease. A prion is a modified Mm -hmm. protein that attacks and modifies other proteins. You guys know about this? Yeah.
2: My grandmother died (laughs) from mad cow disease.
1: Really? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. That's before they knew what it was, though.
1: Wow. He also says, uh, in a sort of side note, cannibalism is not illegal in the U.S., but desecration of a corpse is. So that's what you would be charged with. You choose your battles. (laughs) <laughs> and animal's blood has similar culinary properties to egg whites what huh. to
2: egg whites
1: i could uh, it's... wait
2: i need more of a wait, explanation wait a on this because i've been watching a lot of guys grocery
0: games
1: is it like a I substitute need... for egg whites Ronnie, write in at callconfessions at gmail.com. Let us know about these segues. I mean, I'm a vegan now, but I'm also allergic to
0: eggs, and that would have been nice to know if I could have just been. To using sub animal. it with
2: animal blood. Can
0: you, can you imagine, like, coming over while I'm making, like, eggs and just. <laughs> You're
2: <laughs> like, I'm a vegan, but I sub out everything with animal blood.
0: <laughs>
1: so. <laughs> that exception. Yeah. What? One caveat.
2: Oh my god, okay.
1: Finally, Charlie H. mentioned the connection to a scary score- stories to tell in the dark with our Wendigo oh. episode, um, where DeFago actually turns to ash. So there's a, a retelling of the DeFago mm-hmm. story from the, the top. Um, also Diablo 2, uh, there's Wendigo. I nice. guess. Oh. Um, and Charlie is another one of our welder listeners. So sh- love to the huh. welders. Love well, we to the have welders. a
2: couple of those, don't we? I think we
1: have more than a couple. I think we are increasingly popular with the welding community. We found your I niche. Mean,
2: I feel like welders have to like podcasts, right? What else yeah, are welders you doing And, and I, I think that a lot of welders work. are
1: into occulty stuff. Yeah. You right? know, they I'm make...
2: honestly not surprised for some reason.
1: So I feel like the you know, like in their spare time, some of the welders I know make like you know Renaissance fair stuff. So mm-hmm. the knights yeah. and all that. So I feel like they get into it maybe through that channel.
2: Oh, some forging and fire. Oh, sorry.
1: (gasps) Oh my gosh, I love that.
2: I keep talking about this show, like every podcast. It's a really good show. (laughs) Yeah, anyway.
1: Our sources today included Phil Baker's biography of Austin Osmond Spare, Kenneth Grant's The Magical Revival, and also the writings of Austin Osmond Spare, which are produced by Green Book Publications, and Jacob will be receiving from me shortly. Sweet. I need some reading uh, material
0: for when There you I'm go. Down You'll get south. used to
1: the verilys. I hope you like the word verily and thee and thou. <laughs> when you all hear from me again, I'm just going to be
0: talking like that. <laughs> Olivia, bring us on home.
2: I hereby adjourn and declare closed this meeting of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors till such a time as we get together and do it again.
1: We want to thank Dan Rosendale for vo- doing the voice of Austin Osmond Spare today. Dan, awesome job. Also, Sean Priest giving us the grant quote. Uh, joining me around the table, I have our Knight of the Dangling Serpent, Jacob Wheatley, who's on his way to Florida, but will still be on the podcast. Yes. I am traveling down yonder. Safe travels Barely. to Orlando. So, if you happen to be in Orlando and you're listening to the podcast and you're not a stalker, yeah, that's send a Jacob thing. a message. Yeah. <laughs> be like, "Hey, I'm here too." I guess you shoot Jacob a, stalker, a message.
2: Please put that in the headline. Yes, at least <laughs> yes. If,
0: if you are a stalker, <laughs> just let me know. Yeah. I, I'm fine. I'm, well, no, I don't want to say that, but it, I just rather know <laughs> ahead of time.
1: <laughs> yeah, just so just so Jacob knows what he's getting into. Yeah, yeah. Olivia Literal, who is not leaving this great state of Maryland.
2: <laughs> nope. Someone, if anyone knows that if the if my Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin thing was right, oh, yeah. someone let me know. know. There's like yeah. in the deep part of my mind, I feel like...
1: Hey, follow Jimmy Page intuition. feels like he could own it. yeah.
2: That seems right, right? Like, anyway, yes.
1: Me, my name is Rob C. Thompson. Join us next time. We're going to have a bit of fun. We're going to talk about uh, a big uh, a group, uh, several groups that inspired the Chaos Magicians, namely the Discordians and then their um, inheritors of the Discordian tradition, the Church of the Subgenius. Uh, next time, <laughs> Ooh. here on Occult Confessions.
2: Bye.